Why do some projects or initiatives get stuck or don't really take off? Why do we end up facing some of these same challenges over and over again? That's what we're going to be talking about today. Running a service business can be hard. It is not unusual for business owners in industries like contracting, home repair, auto repair, business-to-business services like janitorial, IT and accounting, and many others to feel overwhelmed by all the priorities facing them at any given time. Between addressing the needs of the customers, managing the employees, figuring out the financials, and getting processes in place, feeling like you're making significant progress on your business journey can be difficult. Welcome to Service Industry Success, hosted by Brian Harding. Each week, Brian will look at real-world strategies for building the business you are dreaming of, while also sharing tactics to get through some of the most frustrating parts of business ownership with a lot more ease. Let's get started. So how many times has this happened to you? You find a problem, you meet with the team, you create a solution, you implement plans, you put them in place, And six months later, you find yourself looking right square at the same exact problem as if nothing had been done about it at all. Why does that happen? One of the ways we can make sure we keep moving forward is to learn to utilize what's called the process improvement cycle. So let me give you a quick history of of this process improvement stuff and my experience with it. Uh, Before I was a business owner, and even before I worked in service industries, I worked in manufacturing and distribution. And I was introduced to the ideas related to quality and reduction of waste and errors and processes and procedures. I actually spent about a year where my primary job was developing and writing procedures. Um, It's not a job I'd recommend for most folks. Uh, I'm kind of a procedure-oriented person, so I didn't mind it so much. And and I got to go out out and and create, help create and solve problems and, and document solutions. It wasn't so bad, but, you know, if you're not into... Uh, spreadsheets and data and stuff like that, it probably wouldn't be your bag for sure. Uh, But I also learned about programs and theories like Six Sigma, Lean Thinking, Kaizen. And I was really fascinated and excited to learn about um, specifically Dr. Deming, who had an incredible role in turning around the Japanese manufacturing, specifically their auto industry after World War II. So I'll just take a quick 90 seconds and, and dive into that for a second you know, some of you are not going to be, you know, super excited about this, but it's the the history I think is important and also the lessons we can learn from it. So obviously after World War II, Japan is like completely decimated as a country, their whole economy is shot, uh, specifically the manufacturing. Again, auto was, you know, auto, you know, car manufacturing is a big piece of that. And after World War II, the U.S. was kind of flying high, like we had just gone over and save the world. And we, you know, we're really kind of full of ourselves. I'm not saying we didn't deserve to be, but, or, or shouldn't have been just, we were. And so Dr. Dimming had these ideas on how to, how to increase uh, profitability and reduce errors. And, and the U S manufacturers really didn't um, have an interest in that. We had just like literally saved the world. And, you know, who was, who was this Dr. Dimming to give them instructions on how to make things better. And so he went to Japan and uh, in Japan, they completely embraced um, the, you know, the whole thing about quality and, and reducing errors and, and um, you know, taking uh, errors per hundreds and taking them to errors per million. And th- those, were, those were ideas they were really excited about. And the U.S. car industry uh, through the 60s, late 60s, throughout the 70s for sure, and even early 80s, but mainly the 70s, were just making crummy cars. They just were not making cars that were 
good. And um, because Japan and their auto manufacturers adopted all these lean thinking and quality, you know, uh, ideas from Dr. Deming and others, as the U.S. auto car uh, auto manufacturers' quality declined, and people had bought basically just because they were patriotic and they wanted to buy U.S. cars. Um, but the quality got so bad that, you know, when the Ford Pinto and the Chevy Chevette rolled off the lot in 1978, the cars were so bad that people just, the patriotism didn't matter anymore. They had to find a better, uh, better car and Japan was making them. And so, um, you know, now we see it in TVs and, and, you know, there's not hardly a single manufacturing company that I can think of in the U S or anywhere that hasn't adopted Six Sigma or Kaizen or these kinds of, you know, lean thinking kinds of uh, theories, even the Marine Corps and the Air Force, um, all kinds of industries have adopted these things because they work. They're, they're really, really good uh, sound theories and practices. Um, but you can look at the auto uh, industry through the 70s and early 80s. And even a company like Harley Davidson in 1983, they were on the brink of bankruptcy and what saved them was uh, t- adopting these lean thinking and and uh, you know kaizen kind of kind of ideas that they completely revamped how they did business and it saved the company. They were they were nearly out of business, but you can see this on a grand scale in the '70s how the quality of cars are being made in the U.S. were just continually worse and worse and worse, and in Japan they were continually better and better and better. So if you look at Ford, for example, from the Late 70s, if you look at, you know, 1980 or 79, whatever, I think it was 79, maybe 1980 or 81, the, the last year that a Pinto rolled off the assembly line and how bad of a car that was, fast forward just a few years to like 1986 or so when the Ford Taurus rolled off, which became the greatest selling car just out of all time. I think the Camry and the Taurus were pretty close, but in just five years, they went from making, Ford went from making incredibly crappy cars to really high quality, uh, long lasting cars. And that, that, that all was a result of this, um, process improvement, lean thinking, uh, kind of stuff. So that's kind of a long winded explanation. Uh, but I find it extremely fascinating and I can tell you for me personally, it's been very helpful to have that kind of quality, um, measuring processes, procedures, you know, uh, uh, background, because it's a great way to make sure everybody's on the same page. Uh, and we don't make assumptions. We we know because we document things, we explain things, we teach things, we ask questions. We know people are on the same page. Once we know they're on the same page, we can hold them accountable. And that makes the business owner's life in a service industry so much easier, so much better because we have agreement on things. We understand how it's supposed to happen and we don't. Ha- when it doesn't happen that way, we can hold people accountable. And that's really one of the key things that we get from this. Also, uh, we get great employee buy-in because oftentimes they're the ones who come up with the solutions. And again, like we've talked about many times before, if it's somebody's idea to do something, they're way more likely to do it than if they're told. And that's just the way life works. So these ideas all kind of take all that stuff into consideration that, yes, you have to spend more time training, but you make up for by not having as many warranty calls or defects or whatever. Um, yes, you have to uh, have that training, but the employees help create the solutions. Therefore, they want to do it. And you have to babysit them less and you can turn over decision-making to them. You can turn over control things to them and you can go do other things like golfing on Wednesday afternoons if you want. So one of the many things that came from this quality and lean thinking revolution was um, ideas like the process improvement cycle. And this process improvement cycle is a great tool to remind us of the process we should go through to solve problems. So it's a 
four-step process to solving problems and creating processes in some case. So when we have a problem, the first thing we must do is uh, plan. So the cycle goes like this. Plan. So picture uh, a, you know, a, a circle at the top at like 12 o'clock is plan. There's like four quadrants. At the top is plan. And then if you look over, to it, would, you know, that would feed into uh, a, like three o'clock quadrant where it would be do. And then a six o'clock quadrant in the circle would be check. And then a nine o'clock quadrant would be act. So it's plan, do, check, act. So it's super simple. It sounds like beyond simple. I get that. Uh, when we have a problem, we got to make a plan to solve the problem. After we make a plan, we must do. We, generally, that means we're going to put the plan into action. After we've had the plan in place for a reasonable amount of time, we must check to see if it worked. And then we must act based upon the results we discovered while checking. Either the plan worked and it did, or it didn't. Either it worked and we're going to make some fine tuning or we're going to make it permanent or we're going to expand it or it didn't work and we kind of have to go back to the drawing board or make some tweaks or whatever. So yes, this cycle seems very obvious right up until you're overwhelmed with 50 other things. It's very easy to get lost in a project and not sure where what the next step is supposed to be or where it currently sits in that cycle. And then because this is so simple, it's easy to see where we dropped the ball, where we're at, what the next step is. So without referencing this super simple uh, uh, tool to remind us of the completely common sense next step, we can kind of get stuck. We can lose track of projects. So here's some examples of ha what happens when we don't use this process improvement cycle. So let's talk about when we don't plan. We can find ourselves putting things off and we, and we accumulate this list of things we're going to get to. Someday we're going to get to this problem. Someday we're going to get to that problem. We can find ourselves uh, being distracted by meetings or we're always putting out fires. Uh, we continue uh, to put solving a problem off for a later date because the time isn't right or we don't have time to work on that right now or we need to get more information. Sometimes these are just common euphemisms to deflect our attention from the fact that we don't want to do this. It's going to be uncomfortable. Uh, we don't want to deal with this in the moment. So maybe we're avoiding some kind of potential conflict with an employee or customer or amongst your leadership team that we suspect is going to be part of the discussion about creating a solution, like creating the plan. We're going to have to, uh, you know, maybe you're going to ruffle some feathers. You're going to, you know, somebody's going to be upset and you just don't want to deal with the stress. You just tell yourself you don't have time or you'll get to it later. Or, uh, the time isn't right. When we get the right person hired, then we'll do it. We These are all things we say. We don't want to make a plan. Sometimes we just don't know how to solve a problem. We don't want to admit it. Uh, there's tons of things that we face when we're running a business that are really hard. And if it was easy, everybody would do it and everybody would be rich. That's not how it works, though. There's some legitimately very difficult things that go along with running a business. So we, we don't always have the answers. And so we can, again, not want to make a plan because we don't, we, in our gut, we don't believe we're able to find a solution. Uh, in any case, we fail the plan and we just hope the problem goes away. For others, we tend to do very quickly without first making a plan. And I'm, I've been guilty of this plenty of times in my life. We have a mindset or we can have a mindset. I'm not saying that we all do, but pe some people have this mindset of, well, we'll just make a decision and we're going to do this. If that doesn't work, we'll just make a different decision. <laughs> and while this is very comfortable for some of us, for other folks, it can make them very uneasy. There's a, a, a significant per, uh, percentage of the population that needs some comfort in knowing that things have been thought through, especially if you want them to really buy in. 
there's a, a significant percentage of population that's just not going to buy in. If they have this perception that we just kind of willy-nilly decided to do something, you can like that or not like it. It doesn't matter. That's just the way it is. So yes, of course, sometimes making decisions rapidly is necessary. But if we find ourselves developing this pattern of just making snap decisions, this does not go unnoticed by our team, and they may begin to lose trust in our judgment. So even if the planning thing doesn't really matter to you, for your team, it will. You know, if you have if you have a, a team of of you know five or twenty or forty or sixty people, many of them do care about. Did we really think this through? And and just because the boss told them how we're going to do things, that's not always good enough for them to really buy in. They might be obedient, they might follow directions, but that's not the same thing as buying in. And you can't turn over control and, de- and delegate decisions if they don't buy in. So let's talk about not doing. This is you know one of the simpler ones of the four for sure. Uh, sometimes we can suffer from this, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of this, but uh, we used to call it the ready aim, 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 aim phenomenon where we are perpetually planning. We're always trying to find the perfect solution or the perfect time to begin. If we just get, if we just get this one person hired, then we can do it. If we just had this one, this other thing taken care of, then we could, if I just had more time, then we can do it. Well, uh, that's not, that's not, those aren't good plans, in my opinion. Um, oftentimes, again, we're afraid of some kind of conflict, maybe with your team, or maybe we're afraid of having to commit the training time necessary to implement a solution, or maybe we just don't trust other people to, to, uh, to oversee a process, or we don't trust that we would have to give up control of some things. Uh, this failure to do is, could be for a lot of things, but um, we, we're perpetually planning and we don't ever actually do uh, this is paralyzing, not just for you, the leader of the company, but also for the entire organization. So we have to we have to identify when we're reluctant to do and, and overcome that. So let's talk about what happens when we don't check things. Uh, we can formulate a plan and we can put it in place and move on with the assumption that our plan is going to is going to work as hoped, and all the actions we lay it out are going to be just perfect. Everything's going to work out just the way it's supposed to. But we don't actually put the effort into checking the results. So there's obviously a ton of, of you know, sitting here with not without having the overwhelm of day-to-day operations of a business. It's super easy to point this out. We can become rudderless. We can find ourselves taking on one particular issue. And then sometime later, when it's not working, we'll say something like, I thought we took care of this like six months ago. And we might figure out that nobody has ownership of the solution anymore because we weren't really checking it. We weren't really following up on it. Uh, or we discovered by solving that by solving one problem, we created a whole different problem, which is now a bigger one than the original problem. And the remedy is going back to what we were doing originally. And then we just kind of forget about it. And we're back to square one, which is a massive waste of time, energy, and money. So if we don't check things, we don't see if they work. We don't uh, identify who's in charge of it. We don't even know if anybody's in charge of it. And we put these things in place and then they just kind of drift off because there's no ownership and there's no follow-up and there's no follow-through and there's no inspection to make sure that the the goals we laid out were even met or that the KPIs that we wanted to hit are even being hit. That we just these things just kind of go away. This is probably the most common of the four where we get lost is the checking part. We we are reasonably good at doing. Uh, we're so so at planning, we're horrible at checking, uh, generally speaking. Uh, and then not acting. In some cases, we can find ourselves getting through the whole process of planning, doing, and checking, only to find ourselves stuck again. We must take action the second time. 
and we can be right back in that ready, aim, 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 aim situation. Um, or the, you know, we can find ourselves in a situation where we're really bewildered because we tried what we thought would work. It didn't work. And now we don't know what to do. And we, and we just kind of park it because we don't have any idea what the solution is. And we, we kind of don't want to go back to the, the planning stage again, which is, this is a cycle. It's not linear. It's a perpetual cycle. It's a perpetual circle. Um, and the larger problem we face, the more diligent we have to be about ensuring that every step has taken place. So acting is just taking the results of the checking we did. It either worked and we're going to keep it permanent. We're going to enhance it, fine tune it, expand it, or we got to go back to the drawing board and make significant changes because what we thought would work didn't. So here's the cycle. Uh, planning, we discover our problem. We must, whenever possible, take some time to think things through. We must get the necessary people involved in the planning. So if you want to be able to turn over uh, decision-making on something or you don't want to have to babysit a project or an initiative or an endeavor or a process, you got to get the people involved who are going to own it and do it. If you want them to be uh, voluntarily doing this thing without you having to babysit them and and using your time to check on everything, then you want to have them help come up with a solution. You're surrounded by very smart people with your employees. Uh, these are very capable individuals who are very smart at what they do. All they need is a chance to help create the solution. And, that, and, and you'll be surprised at how often that they, they want to. Are you going to have that, that person that's kind of obstinate and doesn't want to do anything? Sure. Who cares? Uh, you, you have other people who are willing to, to find solutions. And you're going to find out who your future leaders are by giving them chances to help come up with solutions. So... One of the keys here is to make sure you're dealing with the root of the problem and not a symptom of the problem. And this is one of the reasons why it's really key to get the people involved is to ask questions, to ascertain, is the problem we think that's going on here, is it the root problem or is it a symptom? Uh, that's a critical thing that has to be figured out before we can put a plan in place. Because if we don't go through a conscious exercise of identifying what the root cause is, we can find ourselves making knee-jerk reactions to symptoms and not really solving the root problem, which again is just a massive waste of time. So we want to set goal, a uh, set a goal or goals and make plans to accomplish those specific goals. We got to lay out who the, what the KPIs are, who's the person, what's the deadline, what's the time frame, how often are we going to check the results? Is it daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly? You know, all, all those things have to be laid out with the plan. How are we going to train it? How are we going to teach it to our, to our people? How often do we need to train it? These are all the kinds of things that have to go along with the planning. Uh, the next one is do put the plan in place. Pretty simple. Uh, you got a, sp a specified start date oftentimes, and you got to hold yourself and your team accountable to doing what you plan. This is one of the hardest parts is we say we're going to do something starting, you know, July 1st. And next thing, well, the 4th of July is rolling around and we got, you know, we got a funky schedule because of that. And well, we'll just wait a little bit. And, and uh, next thing you know, uh, we're just kicking the can down the road. So we, we want to um, hold ourselves and our team accountable to doing what we plan. Oftentimes, it's helped if we write this stuff down. We document the procedure. We document the plan. We document the rollout. It doesn't have to take five hours to do that. You can do that in 15 minutes. Here's the date. Here's who's responsible. Here's the people affected. Here's the training. I mean, literally 10 minutes, we can do that stuff. This does not have to be complicated, but it is helpful if we have the whole team on board. And, that, and the way to do that is to make sure it's documented. So a significant part of doing is clearly explaining and documenting the actions we're going to take and training the team to follow the new process or procedure. This is one of the, one of the areas that we are 
really lacking in many cases is we have these great ideas. We have fantastic solutions. We come up with great processes and we just don't want to train it. We don't want to spend the time to train it. And, and this, and then we get frustrated with the results. So one of the biggest parts of doing is the educating and training. And that is a critical piece for sure. Next step is check, pick the date. You're going to begin measuring the results of your actions. Identify the person who's going to be responsible for checking and measuring whenever possible. This needs to be done at the same time you create the plan. We don't want to create the plan, roll it out and then figure out who's going to, who's going to be responsible for measuring and checking and overseeing. That should be part of the planning process. If we put off identifying who's going to do the measuring and when they will do it, there's a much greater chance it just never gets done. So if a follow-up meeting is necessary to discuss the results, whenever possible, schedule that meeting at the same time the planning is done. Okay, we're going to, here's our plan. We're going to roll it out July 1st. We're going to measure for the month of, of July and August, and we're going to reconvene on, uh, you know, the Tuesday after Labor Day, let's say, you know, September 10th. Schedule all that stuff during the planning phase. Let's get it all laid out so it's it's there. We don't forget about it by kicking the can down the road, and we're going to get to it someday because, Oftentimes, we just don't get to it. We forget. We have other priorities. We're putting out fires. And then act. Again, commit in advance to taking whatever actions are necessary. Uh, you know, We're going to roll it out July 1st. We're going to measure for two months. We're going to reassess on September 10th. We're going to have all the data then, and we'll make decisions on that date of what we're going to do next. We need to schedule another planning meeting because it didn't work, or we're going to decide to expand it because it did work or make it permanent or whatever. Um, in any case... We cannot assume it's going to work forever without being monitored. So if we roll out our thing on July 1st, our new process on July 1st, we measure it for the month of July and August. We check it on September 10th. Everything's going great. Awesome. That doesn't mean we stop measuring. We have to inspect what we expect. That's you know a famous, uh, I don't know how famous it is, but common saying in the world of quality control and process improvement, you must inspect and measure what you expect. So you may go from measuring something daily or weekly to monthly. That's fine. You may go from uh, daily to weekly, whatever. But you can't ever stop inspecting things. If you want things to continue and you want the results that you're getting that are good to continue, you have to continue uh, measuring and, and checking. Uh, the, the frequency, again, it may change. I just said that, uh, but it should never go away entirely. If the plan didn't work, so you know we got it either works or it doesn't. If it does work, of course, we'll just you know, figure out how we're going to keep it going without taking our eyes completely off of it. Again, we can lighten up a little bit on the frequency. But if it didn't work at all then, then the cycle starts over again. Once we've determined we need to make adjustments to our original plan, we basically go back to the planning step. And um, we just don't want to skip the planning step and go, well, okay, well, just, let's just do this. Let's go through the process. Are we identifying the root cause? Who's going to have ownership? Are the KPIs still the right ones? You know, Hopefully, the second time we go through the planning phase, it doesn't have to take as long. It oftentimes doesn't take you know more than 10 or 15 minutes in, in some cases. But we have to make sure we understand for each process we're trying to improve, each problem we're trying to solve, we can look at and say, which of the four steps or stages are we currently in? So we don't lose track of that. And we have to commit to following each step. So this is kind of a follow-up to our, our uh, uh, topic last week where we are talking about uh, the six things that are needed for every process or procedure. Um, kind of a follow-up, a, a, a listener named MP wrote me a question, and I kind of wanted to break this up into two parts um, because it's, it's, it was too much for one episode. So my point is, if you have a question that you, or you'd like me to answer, a topic you'd like me to cover, go to the Facebook page, Service Industry Success, 
um, shoot me a DM on there. Shoot your question. We've had a couple of folks do that recently, and it's it's uh, it's been uh, helpful. So uh, if you have a question, just shoot me a DM on there. So back to our process improvement cycle. The first thing we got to do is identify which step a particular project, initiative, or endeavor is in. If you skip the planning phase, and we got to start with the planning phase. Um, whenever we discover the problem, we got to, whenever possible, take some time to think things through. Get the necessary people involved in the planning. And a significant part of this is making sure we're dealing with the root of the problem, not a symptom of the real problem. Set your goal or goals and make your plans just to address those or accomplish those specific goals. Do put the plan in place. Pretty simple. Specified start date. Here's where we're going to start. And then we hold ourselves accountable to what we said. We Oftentimes, we're going to do that by documenting the plan, documenting the process that we're putting in place so everybody knows what it is. There's no question. There's none of this, I told you. No, you didn't. There's none of that conversation. Document it. Again, it doesn't take very long to document this kind of stuff. 15, 20, 30 minutes tops. You should be able to bang out a, a quick um, documented process or procedure. Um, and again, a part of doing is clearly explaining and documenting these actions that were going to take place. So everybody's on the same page and training them so we can hold them accountable to follow what we all agreed upon. Then we're going to pick the date. We're going to do the uh, begin the measuring uh, to check the results of our actions. Did it work? Did it not work? Identify the person who's going to be responsible for checking and measuring. This should be done at the time of the planning, not way down after the fact. And we're, you know, we, we roll this thing out, and then six weeks later, we're, oh, who's who's going to be in charge of this thing? Well, it's just not going to be very likely to, to work if, if that's the case. And then act. If the plan worked and we measure, uh, we're hitting all the KPIs, the measurements look like we're doing what we wanted to, awesome. We can decide to expand it and make it permanent. Uh, we can decide that we're going to continue with things. Maybe we roll back the me- the frequency we measure. Maybe we leave it exactly the same because it's working. If it's working, why, why fix it, right? Um, and just have to remember that we have to inspect what we expect. We have to continue to check to make sure the new process is followed and the KPIs are being met. Uh, and if the plan didn't work, then we just start the whole cycle over again and, and we commit to, to following the same process. It didn't work the first time. That's going to happen sometimes. It's okay. We just go back to the planning stage and, and work it out again. So that's it for this week. Uh, don't forget to DM me your questions if you have them. Uh, the Facebook page is called Service Industry Success. Um, thanks for all the folks who have been uh, uh, sharing this podcast. We're growing pretty rapidly. I'm really happy with uh, how the, the ratings are going up and the, the listens and downloads and all that good stuff. Um, if you have a friend or colleague who's a business owner or service industry, please pass this along to them. Give us a rating review if you have a, a couple minutes. Um, that's really helpful for us to get some traction with this thing. And it's going really well, but we could certainly use some more help with that. If you have a spare couple of minutes, I'd really appreciate it. Other than that, hope you guys have a great week and I will see you all next week. <music>